Thank you, Linda. Appreciate that. How's everybody today? Amen. Well, I tell you what, by the time we're done, I think you're going to even be better. Amen. I invite everybody to open your Bibles today, the book of Psalms, chapter 28. We want to welcome all of you also watching online today. Thank you for being faithful and uh, watching us online and and, uh, joining together. We are finishing up the series that we've been on on Men of the Kingdom today. This is our uh, sixth Sunday on Men of the Kingdom, and uh, this follows about, uh, I believe it was eight weeks or so of just kingdom, just talking about kingdom principles and walking in the invisible kingdom. Because church, uh, everybody look this way, there is a battle going on in a realm we don't see that ultimately reveals itself in this realm we do see. That's why a lot of times you will go, man, what is going on? Well, what is going on is just a reality. It's kind of come into reality of what has already been going on in the spirit realm. And uh, Jesus said that we have power over the spirit realm or the powers of darkness, or the gates of hell. And I've been talking to you about how men are called to be kingdom men. And um, to kind of give you a little bit of an example, on today's message is going to be titled, Men of the Kingdom Influence. And I want to leave you with that thought, because that is what God's called us to do as men of God, is to influence the world around us. But right now, all over the world... America has embassies all around the world. An American embassy is basically a little bit of America a long way from home. It's a smaller version abroad of what the main nation here in the United States is all about. And all of the embassies that are in recognized nations... Wherever that embassy, whatever area that occupies, that is the United States within that nation. So they don't belong to the country they are in. They belong to the country they are from. Now, if you ever get in trouble overseas, you want to make your way across the gate of that embassy. Because if you can get across the gate, you are now in America. Even though you're located on foreign soil. The nation of America has many replicas of America in every recognized nation of the world called an embassy. The kingdom of heaven has many replicas, embassies if you will, that are supposed to be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. And this embassy is called the church. And what the church is supposed to be is a local manifestation of the kingdom of God demonstrating to this world the values, the laws, and the expectations of that heavenly kingdom. 
can I, can I say to you today that it was inconceivable in the Bible that a kingdom man would not have a meaningful, meaningful relationship with God's place of worship. Inconceivable. In Psalm chapter 128 and verse 5, that is why we read these words. The Lord bless you from Zion. I'm going to stop there. Everybody say this. The Lord bless you from Zion. Zion is one of those picturesque words in the Bible, and it refers to God's holy dwelling place, that special place set aside for God's unique presence. There is a mountain called Zion. On the holy mountain called Mount Zion is a holy city called Zion. We know it as Jerusalem. That holy city called Zion Jerusalem, there is a holy place called Zion, and that was the temple. The temple was where a father took his family to worship Yahweh. It was where a father took his family to let them know, hey guys, we are part of something bigger. The thing is, this, this thing is bigger than just you and me and your mom. That it, 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 it's bigger than your brother and your sister and all of our aunts and all of our uncles. There's a whole lot of people who think like we think, who act like we act, who talk like we talk, who walk like we walk. So what we're going to do is we're going to regularly gather with them on a regular basis. Have you ever read this in Scripture? That Jesus went to the temple as was his custom. It literally means Jesus was in the habit of going to church every week on the Sabbath. He would go to the temple as was his custom. That was Zion. It would be inconceivable for a Jewish mother to wake up a Jewish father and ask him, are you going to Zion today? Inconceivable. That would be inconceivable because it was his role. Everybody say his role. See, it was his responsibility to lead his family in the worship of God and in connecting with others who were part of the covenant of God. You say, but Zion is in the Old Testament. Yes, but not only. Look at this next scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. How many are enrolled in heaven? And you've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Can somebody say hallelujah? And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So what this is saying is that God also calls what he has given us through his son Jesus, Zion. Now, because God is everywhere, 
But God has a localized, unique presence that brings unique blessings attached to them. You read back to our opening verse, Psalm 128.5. Now let me show you this. The Lord, notice it's not power God, it's not El Shaddai, it's not God bless you, it's the Lord bless you, Adonai, it's the relationship God. When you are in relationship with God, He will bless you from Zion. So don't you think it's important to be around Zion? You see, going back a couple weeks, we started in Psalm 128, but in verse 1 it says, it starts off simply, you are blessed because you are a person who fears God. Blessed are you when you fear God. You're going to be blessed if you fear God. And what does it mean to fear God? It's a combo. You, it's actually, you do have a fear as in a terror or dread of, but also a reverence of. Kind of like your earthly father. Was there anybody that kind of had a dread sometimes? Dad's in the house. Mom says, just wait till your dad gets home. And you knew that meant business. So you kind of feared that part of God, but, or part of dad, but you also revered or honored. There was honor. So it's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. So he starts off blessing you in verse 1 simply because you're a person fearing God, but now he is increasing that blessing, and he says that there are things that God will do for you when you're connected to church, when you're connected to Zion, that he will not do for you if you're disconnected from Zion. And a lot of people are disconnecting from Zion today. Um, Our involvement as a man of the kingdom in the kingdom embassy called the local church is crucial. But a lot of people don't understand what the word church means. Jesus was the first one who used it. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, he talks to Peter, and he says, after Peter declared that he was the son of the living God, look at this in, in Matthew 16. It says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not overpass, overpower it. Now, what I want you to hear today is that Jesus is the one who established the earthly Zion, the church of God, to overpower the gates of hell. What is the church supposed to be doing? Overpowering hell. And in this, in this particular sense, that means that as we overpower the forces of darkness, we are establishing the kingdom of God where they used to be. We're taking over the land that they used to rule. The Greek word for church is the word ekklesia, and it means called out ones. And it referred to the Greek city-state, to people who were called out of the general population into the Greek assembly to legislate on behalf of the population. So when Jesus came and he said that he came to build his church, what he was saying was, I have come to build that group of people who will legally legislate on earth on behalf of heaven. Are you with me? 
Just like that embassy in that foreign land, we are an embassy in this foreign land because this land is not our home. We're from a place far, far away. In fact, the Bible says we're aliens. I mean, you look at your neighbor and you're looking at an alien. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're truly the aliens on this planet. And in the same way that American embassy is supposed to seek America's interest on behalf of America in a foreign land, the church is supposed to seek heaven's interest on behalf of heaven on earth. In fact, this is what God says in Ephesians 3.10. Look at this. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, how? Through the church, to who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. I told you earlier, the things we see taking place in the natural have their beginnings in the supernatural. Do not buy into the lie that what you don't see won't hurt you. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, people were sick. Some of them, it was a spirit of infirmity. The woman that was bent over double, he said it was a spirit of infirmity. Many times, Jesus would meet usually parents who had kids possessed with devils. Now, you couldn't see the devils, but you could sure see the effect of them in them. People didn't hear the devils until Jesus spoke to them. And then that person would shriek. And before that, those, a lot of times those demons would come out, they would throw that person on the ground, foam at the mouth, and come out. So what I'm saying is there are things in the spirit realm that are making themselves revealed in the natural realm, and you think you're talking to a human, and you're dealing with a spirit through a human. And it's all over. It's in the workplace. It's in government. It's on television. It's all around us. You see... The church is God's vehicle to work through to speak to the culture. Can you see that? So what the devil wants to do is he wants to keep men specifically disconnected from the church. So what it makes me ask, what is the role then of the church in the life of a kingdom man? Well, let me just say this. Too many are satisfied with a song and a sermon and go out to dinner. But that is not what the church is for. The church is to be an embassy of heaven on earth to bring his will and his kingdom to this earth. That is exactly what we're here to do. We are to be the vehicle, so to speak, for the power of God to be manifested on this earth. The church is not intended to compete with other embassies around the city to have something bigger, better, more snazzy, more power, more, more hip so you can get more people to be a part of your hip culture. 
That's not what it's for. It is not, we're not in competition for one another. What we should be doing is we should be casting out devils. We should be seeing people say, we should be seeing people fill with the Holy Ghost. We should be, we should be revealing the heaven of God into the earth of man. And that's why the devil wants to keep people separated. Right now I look out at a church that has at least 80 people that call this their church home. But on a regular basis we will have very uh, few close to that number. Now I'm not trying to get on anybody. I'm not trying to, to, to spank or to, 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 to do that sort of thing. But, but something happened at COVID when we began to have online services that all of a sudden after we started meeting again, it's it kind of like, well, I'm just, I'm at, I'm at church because I'm watching. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for the out. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do this. We are reaching people in all over different kinds of nations. I mean, we're, we get along. We find there's people from Africa watching. We're people from Thailand watching, people from the East. Coast watching, people from the West Coast watching. We, we have actually more people uh, on a church, in our church online than we do in-house. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus, what, what the devil wants to do is keep people separated and, because there's something that happens when you get together, and he wants division in the church because he knows, hell knows, God will not work in a divided location. Jesus said, I am building my church, and the church I'm building, hell can't stop. That's what he said. So if hell is stopping the church, then we better take a look if Jesus is in our church. Because the church he is building, hell can't stop. And the reason why hell won't be able to stop it is because he's given the church the keys of the kingdom. Look at the next verse. I will give you the keys not to the kingdom. If you have the key to the church, that will only get you in the front door. But if you have the keys of the church, that'll get you into every place in the building. He said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I gave you nine keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be, have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. My question is, what are we binding and what are we loosing? Or what are we not binding and what are we not loosing? Because Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church, the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so as we've looked at these keys, these keys are access to authority. Everybody say authority. Now you can enter your house with your key. You can start your car with your key. And notice here he uses the word plural. Keys. Keys. Why? Because every key opens different doors. He said in verse 18, hell has gates. More than one. Multiple gates. Multiple doors. So, I'm going to give you multiple keys that will lock down those gates. It's not to open them up. It's to lock them down. Are you with me? I'm going to give you, he says, my keys in verse 19 that will cast out demons. You can bind them. They'll be bound. I'm going to give you keys that you can loose angels from God and they'll be loosed. 
you got to have those keys. But you know what? There is a purpose for every key, and you got to know how to utilize the key. So it would probably be a good idea to go back to the keys that we learned and begin to operate in those keys. Amen? How many of you know that there were seven sons of a priest named Sceva, and they could not cast out demons? In fact, they were trying, these seven sons were trying to cast a demon or demons out of one man, the Bible says. And the one man, full of those demons, attacked those seven sons, beat them up, stripped their clothing, and they were like, why can we do this? Because here's what they did. They said, we adjure you or command you by the name that Paul preaches in. They didn't know him. They didn't know Jesus. And I just want to say this. Before you use the keys of the kingdom, you've got to know him. See, to be a, to, to be a kingdom man, you've got, you got to fear God. That's the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, Solomon said, is the beginning of knowledge. And so... God wants you to exercise authority. Now, we've talked about this. Why does God want that? Because God is interested in dominion. He said, let man take dominion. Let him rule. Let him subdue on this earth, not just going through the motions. So when we use those those keys, what happens is heaven perks up and says, my embassy is calling me. So we're going to go back it up with the whole kingdom of heaven. Do you all know that when, when Stephen was being stoned with stones and Saul that was a young man, he was holding everybody's coats, he sees all this going on. And Stephen begins to say something that just starts making all of the Pharisees angry. He said, behold, I see the Son of God and he's standing at the right hand of God. Now, now that's, that's very important because the Bible says, here's what the Bible says that Jesus is doing. Once he ascended to heaven, what does it say that he did? He sat down on the right hand of God. But as Stephen is being stoned, Stephen said, I see him standing. Stephen got Jesus' attention. I can just imagine Jesus, although the Scripture doesn't say this, I can just imagine what he's doing, saying, Father, do you see him? Now, church, you've got to understand, this was not one of the original disciples. This was a man who was placed in a position in the church when people were being overlooked in the daily giving of food, and they put men who were full of the Holy Spirit in charge of taking care of people's food needs. Do you know what the Bible calls that person? A deacon. A deacon is not a person in power. A deacon is a person in a position of service. But that particular deacon got a call on his life to stand up and begin to preach. And as he preached, he made everybody angry because he took everybody back to from the beginning of Moses and began to talk about who Jesus was. And as they did that, the Bible said they began to grit their teeth and they picked up rocks and they began to throw them at him.
He was using some keys. And it got the devils angry. Do you know, I do not believe, according to Scripture, a person can commit murder without a demon in them. And I will debate that and show you Scripture. A spirit of murder is demonic. But someone may ask, but why do I have to go to church? Well, first of all, for the collective worship of God. Are you getting anything out of this? We go to worship God. And you know what worship is. Do you know, every sports lover knows worship. You have your favorite team. At home, you have your pew. You know, that special seat you sit on in your living room. You have your altar, the television set. And you will give three uninterrupted hours to focus your attention on that sport. So we all know what worship is. Now, I'm not saying if you like sports that you're worshiping, but I'm saying there are people who love sports, and that is their God, and that is their altar, and that is the, they know what worship is. So worship is the celebration of God for who He is. It's not about, man, that worship team is really not that good. You know what? You can have a poor worship team and still have a great worship experience if you are yourself thanking God for who He is, for what He has done. Can I hear an amen? And what you are trusting Him to do. That is why we come to worship. But the church is for more than just worship. The purpose of the church is, secondly, for discipleship. Discipleship is that developmental process of the local church that moves a person from a spiritual baby to a spiritual giant. This is what Jesus said, go into all the world, preach my gospel to all creation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I taught you to observe. Well, that's a whole lot of stuff. That's a lot of material. Amen? And so... The kingdom man is to go to church to be discipled because the kingdom man is responsible for discipling his family. Isn't it interesting that when Adam and Eve sinned, when God came to the garden that evening, he did not say, Eve, where are you? Just thought I'd tell you that. He said, Adam, I'm looking for you. Why? Because I told you. This is your responsibility, Adam. Every man in the local church should have at least three relationships in the local church. Number one, a spiritual father. Someone you can look up to. Someone to guide you in being a man of the kingdom. Number two, a spiritual son. You need someone younger than you who looks up to you as you're looking up to your spiritual father so that you are helping someone else become what you are learning to be. And then thirdly, you also need a spiritual disciple. 
Someone who gathers together with, you need to be a spiritual disciple rather, someone who gathers with other men of like precious faith in order to spur one another on to keep the faith, to grow in God, and to lead their families. And we're told this, that iron will sharpen iron. And sometimes our iron is dull, and we got to get around others to, to get it sharpened. Can, you, can I hear an Amen. And so then after that, it is our job as men to make sure our families get the message of what was preached on Sunday. Boy, listen to this. It is your job around the table to review the sermon. Even if you haven't gone to college, you haven't gone to seminary, after a Sunday message, if you're taking notes, if you have the, the, you're writing it down in your soul or on paper, you will have all that you need to discuss what has been preached. And you could be the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. Now, I want to say this. Is everybody okay? You cannot make it as a man of the kingdom, as a Lone Ranger Christian, you can't do it. You know what happens to an isolated animal in a herd? It gets destroyed by the enemy. Just like a single log in a fireplace, it, that thing cannot stay hot for long by itself. It needs other logs up against it. Are you with me? To help keep it on fire. Iron sharpens iron. Wood helps wood burn. Men sharpen men, but not just any man. Listen to me today, kingdom men. Kingdom men who think in terms of God's kingdom, who run their embassy to support the vision of the pastor as he leads the church and the rallying group of the church should be the men of the church. And the pastor of that church ought to know he has an army of men behind him to represent this embassy's presence in the community that it serves. And that will make every woman proud. Thirdly, not only is the church a place you worship and a place that you're discipled, but thirdly, the church is where you minister. Everybody say serve. That's what minister means. It's where you use your gifts, your talents, and your skills to further the cause of heaven. Jesus told the disciples, freely you have received, so freely give. If you've received it, he says, I want you to be a conduit. You see, there are two big lakes, only two. You go to Minnesota, you've got 10,000 or more. But in Israel, you only have two lakes. One is the Sea of Galilee, and the other one is the Dead Sea. One is life-giving, and the other one is life-killing. Because the Sea of Galilee has a river running in it and has a river running out of it, the Jordan. And that Jordan goes on down into the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, but that one has no outlet. That one, you can float in it because there's all kinds of salt in it. In fact, there's all kinds of wonderful uh, mud that you can get, ladies, to just help your face and you make your skin. I mean, you know, go down there and you, you want to hang out in the Dead Sea, you'll see all these ladies, they're just covered in mud. 
I guarantee you that you don't want to get in, though, if you've got cuts on your hand. Because you've been in the ocean. This is magnified a million times over, the salt that's in that one. But there's a sea of life, and there's a sea of death. Freely you've received, freely give. If all you ever do is get, you're just going to get fat. And God doesn't want fat babies as Christians. He wants us to give. Amen. Paul tells Timothy this. Look at this in 1 Timothy 2, in verse 8. I think it's interesting. Now, I'm not trying to be sexist today. I'm just reading the Bible. Therefore, I want the men. Everybody say the men. In every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, and I want you to do it without wrath. Don't be angry about it, and don't be fighting about it. Without wrath and without dissension. In other words, you tell the men, Timothy, they need to be the ones that step forth and pray in every place. I want the men lifting up their holy hands to God. I want the men doing this. Remember, it was Joshua, and we sang the song today. He said, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. It was Joshua that said that, not Joshua's wife. You see, God called Eve to help Adam, not to replace Adam. And too often, it's the wives who are replacing what the husband should be doing. The moms in our society today are replacing what the dads should be doing. Women are replacing what the men should be doing. And as a result, Zion, Jerusalem is in trouble. Zion is in trouble. America is in trouble. Now look at Psalm 125 or 128. We're going to read verses, all the verse 5 and all of verse 6. It says, The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Do you see what God did there? Do you see it? He just went from the individual to the family. From Psalm chapter 128, verse 1, he went from the individual to the family, to here in chapter 5, verse 5, to the church. Now, in verse 5, to, the, to Jerusalem, to the city, and now to the whole nation of Israel. Peace be upon the nation. So he went from the individual to the man, to the family, to the church, to the city, to the world. Check it out. From the heart, to the home, to the church house, to the world. It's been the plan from the beginning. And what God is doing is God is not changing the culture through the government. He's changing the culture through kingdom men, starting with themselves, going to their homes, taking it to the church, taking it into the city, and on into the nation. Because when these kind of men are operating in their families and in the church, Jerusalem has to pay attention to them. You know, the church is kind of like, if I can illustrate it this way, it's kind of like a huddle in a football game. Now, 60,000 people don't go to an NFL game to watch 11 men lean in to a huddle. They, but they don't mind a huddle as long as they don't spend all their time as a team in the huddle. And the reason they are in that huddle 
is to formulate the plan. And the reason those 60,000 people are in the stand is now after the huddle, they're going to want to see the difference that huddle makes. In other words, having huddled, can you now score? What are you going to do about those other 11 men daring you to go public with your conversation you had in your huddle? That's what the enemy team is trying to do. They're going to try to keep you from accomplishing what you got in the huddle. We're in huddle right now. But we're not called to stay in the huddle. You see, they want, what they want to do is see what you did in private to work in public. Having a nice worship service is great, folks. Listen, it's necessary, but what is our public manifestation of what we do on Sunday. You see, I need you to help me out today. How can we have all of these churches on all of these corners with all of these programs and all of these preachers and all of these members and all of these buildings and still have all of this mess? See, there's an old idiom, and it says this, there's a dead cat on the line somewhere. And what that means is that old phrase was used to describe a situation in which something's wrong. And I want to submit to you today, the embassies aren't right because the families aren't right. And the families aren't right. Because many men have not taken their kingdom position, so Jerusalem's in trouble, and Israel's in trouble. Let me share something with you about the average boy today. The average boy today that grows up, grows up predominantly being influenced by a woman. For nine months, he's in his mother's womb. After those nine months, he's born, and for about the next two years after birth, he's mostly with the mother. Then they have babysitters who are generally females. The elementary teachers are mostly females. And if there is no man in the picture, this boy's whole life is gathered around a female. And we begin to wonder why we have a shortage of kingdom men. Yet God has given us the ingredients, the instructions, the illustrations, the examples of what kingdom men look like in His Word. They are men of greatness. They are men of dominion. They are men of alignment. They are men of family. And they are men of influence for the kingdom of heaven on earth for God. But a kingdom man isn't measured by his title. He is measured by his influence. He is measured by his impact. If you are a kingdom man, I'll guarantee you, you are making an impact. Guarantee it. Even if you don't see it. 
Even if you don't hear the person say it. Even if your child never says anything to you. Even if your grandchild never says anything to you. You are making an impact by how you live, first in your home, then in your church. And after the pastor gives the closing prayer for you, you go out and you shake it up in the city because nothing, nothing in this world will hold a kingdom man back because you're going to be impacting it. It will not be impacting you because the gates of hell can't prevail. I want to ask the men listening today that if you were put on trial at your job and you were being accused of being a man of God, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you be found innocent of all charges? Because you just blend in. And there's nothing unique about you. Do you know what the Bible says that we are as a church? We're a city hidden away in a valley. Is that what the Bible says? It says we're set up on a hill. Men don't light a lamp and put it over, cover it over. They put it up on a lampstand. Back in those days, that's how, they, that's how light shone out. You would put it up on a lampstand, and then now not only do you have the light going out that way, you got it going everywhere. And wherever you put that lampstand, light would be everywhere. It's like the old story of the old church that was being built way back in the day before they had electricity. And along the wall, they had hangers. And on those hangers, hooks, they had them designed to put lamps. But the church didn't buy lamps. The church said, every one of you in families... You need to bring your lamp. And when you come to church, you light your lamp and you put it up against the wall. And if you're not here to put your lamp up on the wall, your place will be dark. Because nobody else can light your world with your light. And I love that illustration because can you just imagine if nobody showed up to church on a night, the church would be dark. Are you catching the gist of what I'm saying and the responsibility that we have? And I believe that it is time for secret saints to come out of the closet. And you say, but pastor, I'm not that. Well, then if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. But if it does, slip it on and run with it. Everywhere around us today, somebody's coming out of the closet to represent sinful lifestyles. You know what? You may as well come out too and go ahead and represent the kingdom of God of the person that you truly are in the house of God. I mean, I think it's time for that kind of a coming out. Amen? I mean, God's not looking for any secret agent Christians, any spiritual CIA representatives, or any covert operatives. God's looking for people who will unashamedly, publicly represent God and say, you know what? I have a king. I have a king, and I belong to his kingdom, and I operate by his rules and by his laws because he's placed me here as a referee on the field of life to call things as my king calls it, not as players want it to be. That's exactly why the ref is in that room or in that, on that field because you're going to have people on this side going, oh, no, I wasn't across the line, and this guy's going, oh, no, he was across the line, and the ref is going to be the one that says, you know what, this is right and this is wrong. This is the way we're going. We're the referees. 
And our commissioner is God. And our rule book is this book. So I'm asking God to raise up a whole generation. It's going into two generations now. Millennials and Zs. They've left the church by the droves. In fact, there's more outside the church than in it of those two generations. And what I'm praying and asking God for is to raise up a whole generation that has been lied to by the devil's agents in this culture and for them to recognize that they've been lied to by them, but that God is offering them true life and kingdom keys that will open up the kingdom of God to them and show these young men how to become a kingdom man. You say, but man, Pastor, I've really messed up. I'm divorced. My, my kids don't want to talk to me. My, my family is a mess. I'm just not very good at being a kingdom man. Well, I'm glad you're here listening today, if that's you. Because have you ever had a mom or a grandma, and they would make these big Sunday dinners? And she'd make a... Maybe a roast and potatoes and corns and carrots and green beans and cornbread. I mean, this is a big Sunday meal. How many of you remember those? They'd be huge. And you'd enjoy that, that Sunday meal. But that mom or that grandma also was the, the queen of Tupperware or Rubbermaid because she takes all of the leftovers that haven't been eaten and she puts it in that Tupperware and she puts that in the fridge and then she brings it all out on Monday. Except this time, she's not going to go through all that trouble again. She's going to use what she has and she's going to pull out a casserole dish and then she's going to take all that food left over from Sunday dinner and she's going to dice it. She's going to chop it. She's going to put it into that casserole dish. She's going to take some grated cheese and sprinkle that over the top of it. She's going to pour some cream of mushroom uh, over it and she kind of call it like a, a French name like cassoulet de bouffe. When all it really is is leftovers in the hands of a master. If you just simply give God what you have left, He'll dice it, chop it, put a little cream of the Holy Ghost on it, and He will serve you up a kingdom life like you never thought possible. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to come as our perfect example of a kingdom man, a man who demonstrated what living in the kingdom really meant. And Lord, I lift up men everywhere today, and I pray that your spirit of grace, I pray that your spirit of truth would rest on each and every one of them. I pray that kingdom men will grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, their Lord. And I pray that they would become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and not rely on their own abilities. 
from this day forward. I pray that the character of the Lord Jesus would be increasingly reflected in each and every one. And I pray that kingdom men throughout the world would be godly witnesses to the truth of the gospel in their own life, in their own home, in their own church, and with others. And Father, I pray right now that you would build up America with an army of kingdom men who will become a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can help others to grow into the mighty men of God that you have designed them to be. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody in agreement said a big, big amen. Amen and amen. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We praise you. We thank you for the message of the kingdom. And we pray that we would walk in it, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I feel this. Not only am I preaching it, but I'm feeling it. And I know we can't rely on our feelings, but man, you got to feel it. You got to begin to walk it. You got to begin to live it. Because I'll tell you what, if you just, if a sponge just gets a little bit of water in it, everywhere that sponge goes, have you noticed that? Everything is wet. You can't soak it up and touch somebody and then not get some. So go out there and. Wet the world with the kingdom of God. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.